This time on Watchers of Tomorrow. What's in a name? A miserable little pile of secrets. Hello everyone, welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review podcast that's putting the humanities back in science fiction. I am Gepin and I am joined as always by my friend and co-host Dr. Izix. Hi! And this week we watched an episode that I swear we saw before and I've already forgot large chunks of. But that's okay. <laughs> and, and, and in some ways we've seen it, we, we've, we've even talked about this episode in large chunks and then forgot about it. The the only thing that this episode contributed to like Star Trek and science fiction generally is it sets up one joke in one episode of Next Generation. Kinda, yeah. <laughs> but it was a good joke. Yes, it was a good joke. But it's only a good joke in Next Generation. It's a terrible joke in this. <laughs> yeah, it's it's what happens when you uh, properly age your jokes. You know, it's like a, it's like good whiskey. This episode is called by any other name because if there's a Shakespeare reference, it makes it look more classy. Yes, and uh, if things are classy, it's uh, easier to sell to uh, the the executives, I guess. I guess they they awkwardly shoehorn the line into this episode for no reason other than to justify that they named it that. Yeah, I, I, it's 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 it kind of works, but it's sort of like. There's easier ways to sort of explain what's going on. <laughs> this episode was written by two people who are both kind of like producers for the show. So we've seen their stuff before. Mm-hmm. Written by Jerome Bixby and then adapted for screen by Jerome Bixby and DC Fontana. Indeed. We're familiar with their stuff. We have a myriad of guest stars. A few of them actually did things. Mm-hmm. The a few of them were glorified extras, but you know. Uh, the most interesting one to me was actually the lead love interest woman, played by Barbara Bochette, who plays Kalinda. Kalinda. It sounds like a uh, Disney princess. A little bit. Kalinda, do not go to the the spooky castle. You'll be abducted by goblins. She did a lot of things in this era. She was uh, largely known as a model. She was in the original Casino Royale movie. I missed that one. She... <laughs> Was like a lead actress in a lot of things, but she got so tired of being typecast as the dumb hot blonde that she moved to Italy to star in films there. I'm out, guys. I'm gonna go do something else for a bit. Yeah, because uh, apparently she's like still acting. Like she has a like a film coming out like next year. Is it American or? Yeah, these these names look fairly non-English. Uh, yeah, Italian. So so still working in Italy because we typecast yeah. her and she left. That's too bad. She's pretty good. The other main guest star is Warren Stevens playing Rojan. Mm-hmm. He was a pretty well-known TV actor. He has over 150 primetime appearances between 1950 and 1980. He was also in the uh, you know, sci-fi classic Forbidden Planet. Ah, yes. I thought he looked familiar. Yes. Uh, I was uh, one of the doctors, I think. Doc- they were the guy's all name. doctors. <laughs> doctor, 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 doctor. Robot. <laughs> and robot that's what makes it sci-fi <laughs> Stuart moss is playing the second in command of the guest star people named hanar 
We saw him previously in Naked Time. He was also in several Alfred Hitchcock movies and associated TV guest spots. He was in Perry Mason. He's been around. There's a few. (laughs) There's actually a decent number of good actors. There's like good performances in this. It's just a very dumb, forgettable story. (laughs) They're doing their best, you know. Sometimes it happens. Robert Fortner plays Tomas. I thought it was Tomar. Is it Tomar? Maybe I misclicked something. One of those. Yeah. <laughs> I had to write this on an iPad. <laughs> I blame technology. Don't worry. <laughs> and Leslie Dalton played Dira, who hangs out on the bridge. Yeah, she's just kind of there. She is just kind of there. Yeah, uh, there is a, a yeoman and a, a random lieutenant. Yeah, they don't show up for as long. I had to name all of the aliens because I realized the script doesn't make sense unless you give them names. But, you know, random extras are just random extras. Yeah. <laughs> the red shirts. Literally red shirts. Hint, one of them dies. Oh, we join Kirk, Spock, and McCoy with random yeoman and security dude as they beam down to a lush alien planet that's actually a soundstage this time. So, um... Uh, the, in the uh, version I saw, the the sort of the zoomed out version was actually like CG and stuff because you know you know special edition stuff going on here. Uh, but and it actually looked really good zoomed out like that. When you zoom in and you're just on the set, it's like oh, never mind. <laughs> yeah, it looks pretty terrible. It's just three or four fake plants and some grass. Mm-hmm. They're responding to a distress call that Spock can detect no life forms except for all these trees and grass. No life forms at all. These are all dead. But soon after, the yeoman reports that she has detected two human life signs approaching them. I guess you're not very good at scanning then. All right. (laughs) Sure enough, a man and a woman appear. This is Rohan and Kalinda of Kelvin. Kelvin? Wait. We're in the Kelvin timeline already? <laughs> and they're here to take over the galaxy. Oh, uh, as you do. Wait a moment. That, my galaxy's where I live. What are these guys doing? <laughs> Kirk takes a relatively dim view of this conquering thing, but the pair use small boxes on their belts to freeze the landing party. As you do. They also have already sent operatives up to the ship who employ a similar method to take over the bridge, engineering, and life support, quickly taking control of the entire ship. It's a, sort of a montage sort of thing going on here where they just sort of pop into places and go, aha, freeze! Ryan tells them that they work for him now because they need the ship and the crew in order to take them back to their home galaxy, Andromeda. I guess we know where they're coming from, at least, and not just some vague from beyond our galaxy nonsense. Yeah, they're from the next galaxy over. Well, the next big galaxy. There's a bunch of smaller ones between here and there. Yeah, smaller galaxies just have a few, you know, billion inhabitable planets instead of a trillion. <laughs> This trip would normally take a few thousand years with current faster-than-light technology, but Star Trek standards of current, it would take, you know, literally millions of years with our technology. And uh, our te- technology, there's kind of questions of if you would ever make it there, even with even then. So <laughs> Isn't this still in our globular cluster? I thought you were fine within your own globular cluster. You know, it, it kind of comes down to uh, yeah, what dark energy is doing with the universe. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but with the Kelvin's advanced technology, the trip's only going to take about 300 years because they're going to modify the Enterprise's engines. Oh, so you're stealing our ship and leaving us on this abandoned planet for no reason? You jerk faces. No, they're taking them all with them. We, not, we can't survive for a few hundred years unless you're going to make us immortal, too. Hmm. Apparently, this 
is a generational expedition because these are so, not the same people who left their planet. Their antecedents did. <laughs> so in other words, no immortality. This is starting to sound like more of a terrible thing by the second here. Yes, they're going to leave and their children are the ones who are going to reach their final destination. Hmm. Kirk offers that they don't need to do this because, you know, they have a federation and they can maybe work with them and help them find habitable planets and etc. But apparently, Kelvin's only conquer. Peaceful solutions are stupid. These guys don't seem like very friendly uh, people that would be able to, I don't know, be, be, be willing to tolerate us even existing at some point, you know? Yeah, seems likely. Yeah. <laughs> The crew is thrown into an impromptu cave jail. Kirk asks Spock to do the mind probe escape thing that he did back on Aminiar, which was in Taste of Armageddon. They're actually referencing old episodes yeah. now. Holy, holy crap, we have continuity. Spock does this, making contact with Kalinda, but he is thrown across the cave by her mind or something. She, he's just like, I'm going to touch your brain and then I'm going to bounce off of it. Oh, God. But she comes in to check on them anyway. Kirk quickly knocks her out with a karate chop. They As you do. get about three feet before they are stopped by another one of the Kelvins. Oh, we should have been looking out for people that may have seen this happen. What what, what fools we are. Rowan decides that he needs to punish them for this. He takes the yeoman and the security guard, because they are apparently spares, and uses his belt thing to turn them into small polyhedral shapes. I'm I'm getting some Dungeons and Dragons vibes here. Are we, are we supposed to roll them? What, what, what next? Rowan takes them, says, these are both people. And he crushes one and says, this people is dead. And then puts the other one back and reconstitutes the security guard. Wait a moment. The security guard survived? Yep. Holy smokes. Also, now we understand that they can turn people into these little dice looking things and to bring them back so the people aren't actually dead until you smush them all right well um that's good to know well uh, i hope there's no like long-term effects uh or anything like that as well because uh, you know when you just got a random shape just sitting around places say maybe for a few centuries <clears throat> uh yeah you, they could get damaged or uh, or maybe you know since you're on a spaceship they could get uh damaged by you know cosmic rays or something like that that, that could be potentially uh fatal if you got reconstituted later back into the cell spock goes <laughs> into what he saw in the kelvin's minds they are not human or even naturally humanoid what are they spock they're some sort of lovecraftian-esque tentacle monsters <laughs> sweet which I guess kind of gets uh, continues in this uh, general vibe of, yeah, there's lots of humanoids around in our galaxy, but the things from beyond seem to be quite a bit different. That is weird. true. Every time they get something really weird, it comes from outside the galaxy. Yes. <laughs> but they took on human bodies because they need to use their ship, and large tentacle monster things are not well suited to be carried on the Enterprise. So they've been sort of uh, tissue compressed into human forms? Or something like that? Something. Who can say? They certainly don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just we're now humans. It's, it's, yeah, we're like idealized visions of a humans, but you know, whatever. Kirk decides that what they really need to do right now is get Spock up to the ship for reasons. Uh, they decide that what he can do is to put himself into a meditation-y sleep thing, which he does, and 
falls over because he forgot to lie down. (laughs) Well, I guess you are putting on the full act of just suddenly passing out on us. That's that's cool. Uh, Glad we're here next to you so we can grab you. They also apparently decide that they could possibly counteract the freezy doodah with some sort of medical equipment, but they never speak of it again. Well, they kind of have it as a uh, first try, but they, yeah, they kind of, well, we got all these other things, but we'll get to that stuff later. They pretend that Spock is dying and that they need to get him up to the ship in order to keep him from dying. So, hooray, he and McCoy are now back on the ship. Hooray, so this is going to be where they uh, enact their daring plan, right? Yes, but first... Back on the planet, Rowan explains that he needs to take them to the ship anyway because he needs them to run the ship and get through the weird energy barrier thing that we remember from the first episode. Yep, uh, you know, where no man has gone before, that gives you psychic powers. So we're going to get a bunch of uh, random crew members with psychic powers on, on, the, sh- on, the, on, on the ship suddenly. And that's going to be really weird. I don't know, maybe being cubified protects you from the psychic powers because they never mention that. We- we haven't mentioned people being cubified anymore. Spoilers. <laughs> Glenda interrupts this exchange to ask about flowers. Kirk tells them that they have flowers. Yep. She mentions that they don't have flowers on their planet. They have tiny crystals. Well, that's kind of cool. You're from a really, really alien planet, yeah. Kirk says, by any other name, and then has to explain this very human reference that I don't know why you would think anyone would understand. Because Kirk's romantic, I guess? Uh. Anyway, they all go up to the ship. They're all up on the ship now. Yep, uh, there's no uh, enacting the plan on the ship while Kirk's down below still, and there's tension and things like that. Yeah, the whole We're just Spock being sick thing was unnecessary. Spock has located the Kelvin power source that runs all of their cool belt doohickeys. Yeah, the projector. They think if they can take it out, they can get the ship back. So he and Scotty go to engineering to disable it or something, but it's made of an impregnable material, so they can't do anything. Uh, the way I sort of saw that is like, okay, we they can get the pro- uh, to the projector and they could generate something to from based on the technology to with the medical device stuff mentioned earlier, and that would be able to do the thing. But it's kind of a moot point, so don't worry about it. But Scotty and Spock decide that they should set up something in the engines anyway, just to give Kirk the option. So what kind of option is this, say? They're very vague about it, but it's only like a half a scene later when they finally get around to explaining that what they can do is flood the engines with goo that will explode when it hits the energy barrier on the edge of the galaxy. So we're going to explode ourselves when we try to leave the galaxy then. To prevent the Kelvins from being able to leave and come back with an evil expeditionary force in 600 odd years. Surely we won't have more advanced death lasers by then, right? They reach the barrier. Scotty looks to Kirk for the order to destroy the ship. Kirk bites his lip a little bit because he's stressed, I guess, and making decisions. Scotty keeps looking for that order. Keeps looking continues looking this is an overly long scene is he gonna is he gonna order the, the button pushed is are we all gonna die is the ship going to be exploded is the series over is this it is this how kirk and company go out yeah there's six or seven cuts between scotty hovering over a button and kirk like biting his lip going mm, decisions i'm a captain i can't make decisions help me kirk finally tells scotty not to blow up the ship and they go through the barrier it's later on revealed that Rohan knew the plan anyway, so... So another moot point. 
Hmm. Ryan says, good job. Now we have to kill all the unnecessary crew, which is essentially everyone on the ship except for Kirk, Scotty, McCoy, and Spock. So at least you know we're going to be keeping... Uh, you know, Spock in his uh, superhuman strength and uh, you know, analytical abilities. Scotty, the most competent person on the ship. Uh, McCoy, who can get get everyone all the drugs, and Kirk for commanding them. I guess the rest of the crew gets cubified. Well, I guess they're going to be safe, other than those things I mentioned earlier. So, hooray! They'll make it to Andromeda. In the rec room, the remaining crew are eating and talking about how depressing this situation is. We've been we've been uh, kidnapped. Our ship hijacked. We're gonna be dying out in space. We're never going to return home, and even our crew might not ever return home before a big, massive alien invasion strikes. Then one of the Kelvins, Tamar, enters and makes fun of them for eating food instead of taking all of their food in pill form, the way you should be doing in the future. Well, uh, you know, I guess that is. Uh, I guess the point, I guess. <laughs> Healthy living through pills. McCoy goes, hey, don't knock it till you tried it. And he says, I will then. And starts eating, basically. You you silly human, of course I'll try it. Oh, I can, I'm a Kelvin, I can do anything. Seeing Tomar enjoy his food, Spock remembers that in their minds before, useful information was had that he forgot until now, I guess, that... Before they became human, they did not have any feelings or sensations because they were just too intellectual again. Uh, but now they have human bodies, so they may also have human desires and weaknesses. Hmm. So before, when they were giant tentacle monsters, uh, they were effectively just brains with tentacles then. Yep. With no, no sensory organs absorbing all their nutrients through you know, you know, you know, uh, small pills and things like that. Hmm. Kind of so sounds like a terrible life to be in existence there. But that's just me. We now split off into about three different timelines that are spursed together through various scenes. So we're going to reorganize these into three distinct stories to get them out of the way. Now, uh, so for the first story, dot, dot, dot. Scotty likes this plan and invites Tomar to join him for a drink. Scotty gets Tomar really drunk until he passes out. Scotty then grabs the belt thing, but passes out before he can get out of the door. That's what happens you drink too much, kids. You fail to rescue the ship. Tamar also drinks at least four bottles of alcohol, sharing them with Scotty until Scotty brings out his super old scotch. Ta-ta. The, 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 the ultimate scotch by Scotty. His prized possession. It's dusty and probably a bazillion years old. Yeah, which, like, he says it's really, 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 really old. Which, like, okay, like, you've been keeping it around for a while. But, like, that's not how scotch works. So how does it work? When you say you have an old scotch, it's how long it was aged in the barrel before they bottled it. How old the bottle is, is immaterial. So, in fact, it might be terrible scotch. Yeah, it could be like one-year-old scotch that just happens to be a hundred years old in the bottle. It would not improve the flavor. Whoops. <laughs> they always do this with alcohols. I think because of the wine thing, where you can get like certain years of wine and they become rare and collectible. This is kind of one of the reasons I don't generally write about people drinking in my my, my stories because <laughs> I, I don't know this stuff <laughs> we then join mccoy who is taking on hanar the second in command of the kelvins uh he makes him believe that because he's not eating solid food he needs vitamin supplements but instead he keeps giving him stimulants until he gets really angry yells at rohan and gets sent to his room 
So, um, McCoy, um, um, so how, how's those medical ethics you got there? How are those doing these days? I guess they only apply to humans. Ah? <laughs> I guess. There's another woman named Dira who is on the bridge, and we ignore. She, she'll be fine. She just she does whatever all the other Kelvins tell her. So, as long as we can get the rest of them, we'll be fine. This leads us back to where we always knew this had to go. Kirk and Kalinda. Oh, my. Kirk comes to Kalinda to apologize for knocking her out before. And he kisses her neck. And then she goes, hey, are you trying to seduce me? That's funny. And Rohan walks in and she goes, hey, he's trying to seduce me. That's funny. And then Kirk leaves all dejected like. Well, I, I give her points for like realizing what's going on. <laughs> Rohan asks what they were doing and Kalinda kisses him to demonstrate. And then they all comment about how weird humans are. Yeah, so this is the feeling that humans have when they interact. Hmm, how funny. I was really wishing that this show was made now. Because they, <laughs> he, Kirk and Kalinda are kissing. And she goes, that's weird, what are you doing? And then Rowan walks in and says, what are you doing? She says, he's trying to seduce me. I just wanted her to go like, show him. Show him what you just showed me. <laughs> That'd be glorious. <laughs> it makes it, The whole point is that they don't understand this human stuff. Yeah. So, like, why would they have any particular concept that that would be weird? They wouldn't. So, yeah, that would be the, the you know a very natural way to sort of progress things. And also, in anything except for conservative Star Trek future, that wouldn't be weird. Mm -hmm. I miss Doctor Who. Yeah. <laughs> but later, Rohan is playing chess with Spock and talks about how he's distracted. Spock tells him that he's obviously jealous of Kirk and Kalinda. I thought it was because he was uh, had that song One Night in Bangkok and stuck in his head. Kalinda, in the meantime, seeks out Kirk because she's decided she's horny now. I don't know. As you do, I guess, you know. It went straight from you humans are silly with your human things to like, I want to kiss you again. I've found you in your room. I guess I could kind of see it in that it's like, well, that was a new experience. Hmm. I have a feeling that I kind of liked it. Maybe I should do more of it and explore that sort of experience. Not really done well. Also, she finds Kirk while he's eating with Scotty and McCoy. And she's like, can I have a word with you? And McCoy just sits there staring at them until Scotty goes like, hey, you can't sit here and watch them. We're going to have an excuse to, to head out here. Uh, bye. And McCoy is just sitting there like, oh, you're going to make out? Cool. I'm, I'm here. Go ahead. <laughs> Anyway, she's decided she wants more kissy times. This, in turn, gets Rohan more jealous and angry until he comes to confront Kirk about it and decides to try to kill him with his bare hands. Da, da, Even da, after da, da. Kirk reminds him that he has the thing that could kill him instantly. I, you, why don't you just freeze me? Make punching me easier. Huh? 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 Oh, you're not going to do it? This th doesn't really sort of make sense unless Rohan has just become an idiot. He's really stupid in his human form. Like, I get it. You get super angry. You just lash out. But then they're like, hey, remember you have a gun? You're like, oh, yeah, thanks. That would have been easier. And then bang, and then you're done, you know? Kirk pins Rohan and convinces him that this is just evidence that they've all become too human. And their descendants, being born from human bodies, will be even more human. So there's really no point in going back to their own galaxy. Rohan suddenly agrees. Yeah, well, they, they were all about the 
you know, the Kelvins are so superior, yada, yada, yada. So kind of makes sense as an argument, even if it's really quick. <laughs> it's really, it's, it's fine as like, it makes sense if they built it up at all. <laughs> Orion suddenly agrees and they take them off to live on the planet where they found them. They decide that the Federation is going to send an unmanned probe to invite the other Kelvins to come do the same, which is a problem they won't have to worry about for 600 years. So, you know, they'll all be dead. Yep. <laughs> this is a problem we don't have to worry about, but our descendants will. Wait a moment. That, that's kind of a jerk move. Huh. Glenda decides that she's going to go with Rohan and the others because they need to tie stuff up nicely and they can't just have a random woman hanging around on the ship, I guess. Kirk can't have a, a legitimate serious girlfriend. That, that would throw off the formula. They turn around and head back to the galaxy. The end. Hooray! We got our ship back and everyone was ungeometrified. Yeah. <laughs> How many times do we have to do other people can't deal with the basic joys of being human? Um, A few more times at least. Like, what is the <laughs> message here? I I've, I've still cannot understand the the message here i think it's like just a puritanical thing of like if you don't control your urges they will overcome you and do all this horrible stuff but they don't say that the crew is doing anything special mm -hmm. like in fact scotty gets just as drunk <laughs> yes i i think for me i sort of read it as all right these these are beings that have one they have 100 percent bested the crew they have bested the the, the best of, the, of starfleet and they are totally on top of the, their game here. Um, but the to 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 err is human, though. Uh, to that they are no longer the infallible beings that they see themselves as, and so they they are being effectively you know, over over the course of the episode sort of made more like us, even though they're still kind of completely clueless about a lot of the context of being human. Uh, human goes, and there's sort of I guess a certain level of inexperience as well, which is sort of being exploited directly in the you know, what's going on. So, so I guess in, in some ways, it's a mix of humans are fallible, but also humans, heck yeah. I guess. <laughs> this is what's so weird. Like, I, I think it's just a, like, you wouldn't be this stupid, but you know other people would. Like, those people who get all judgy at alcoholics and stuff. of like, oh, why didn't they just control their addictions? I drink sometimes, and I have not surrendered myself to alcohol. Well, you also maybe have some experience with alcohol. Or you weren't horribly depressed or, you know, one of those things. Yeah, there's, you know, there's lots of things that you know, you, you can give you the ability to uh, handle such things in a very responsible manner that not everyone has. So sometimes those things are just things that are just not, you know, nothing related to what they've uh, ma uh, made as choices in their in their life. And so to judge them for it, it's kind of a dick move. I forget. Did we talk about the marshmallow experiment last time we had one of these self-control episodes? I don't remember. So there's this pretty famous experiment called the marshmallow experiment. And it's really interesting the way it kind of ties in with stuff like this. Because the basic idea is they take a bunch of kids, they put a marshmallow down in front of them. And then the researcher says something along the lines of, oh, I forgot the other marshmallows like you're supposed to get two marshmallows but mm -hmm. i forgot and left the marshmallows in the other room i'm gonna go grab one just don't eat this one yet because you know experiment reasons 
And the idea is you're supposed to leave the room and measure how long the kid's going to wait for double the marshmallows as opposed to just eating the one marshmallow now. Mm -hmm. The way that this experiment got kind of interpreted later in a bunch of pop psychology books and some dumb misinterpretations of what was going on is basically that there's some sort of innate ability for people to have self-control that is either inborn or something that gets like beaten into you as a child or something. And the kids that waited for the marshmallow longer went on to great success and wealth and power later in life. Because of course they did. But the actual... (laughs) experiment itself was not about trying to measure some sort of dumb innate thing it was about how you can construct an environment that makes it more or less likely for any random person to have better or worse self-control it was stuff like we're going to put you in a different sized room or we're going to prime you by saying by like lying to you beforehand so you have a reason to not trust the person proctoring the experiment or You're going to have the person doing the experiment do something trustworthy so you have a reason to believe they're going to come back with the thing when they say they will. Future Gepwin here. I wanted to add a slight correction to this because I was misremembering the original Marshmallow study just a little bit. The study that I was talking about here was the Stanford Marshmallow experiment. It did not include any variables such as lying to children or changing the room around. It uh, eliminated those such variables by having children call the proctor in at the beginning of the exam so that they knew that the proctor would be around and come back in order to control for those variables. That experiment was much more about how children coped with having to wait for a reward and how long they would wait. The experiment that I was remembering was one done much later in 2012 in which half of the children were lied to and had a promise broken to them before the experiment and half had a promise kept before the experiment and the group that had the promise kept had significantly longer wait times of up to 12 minutes over the neutral group. So that is the one that I was trying to reference and I apologize for the error. Now back to your regularly scheduled nonsense. Variance in levels of trust explicitly, uh, external pressures, uh, and even ways to sort of... uh, uh, drive up certain levels of anxiety perhaps so it basically did a pretty good job of proving that self-control as a thing that we think of it as this like talent or innate ability that people have and we judge people for is actually hugely dependent on the external environment in how long you are willing to wait for your you know gratifications even if it means doing the thing now gives you less of a payoff than waiting for double the thing later. Uh, for instance, what if uh, you're in a situation where they made sure you were hungry before the thing? And so it's like, well, I feel like I'm starving now, so maybe I'll just go shove this in my, my face right now and, uh, and no longer be in such distress, you know? It's so what if I don't get a second one? Yeah, it's pretty well demonstrated that Things like that, like having been super hungry, you need the thing now. You don't know when you're going to get another chance at food. Mm-hmm. People who are usually who are in those kinds of situations where you are like kept super hungry generally also have other 
trust issues, especially if you're dealing with children, like kids mm-hmm. who are in foster systems and similar kinds of situations to that are going to trust adults a lot less. So when the adult says, yeah, I'm going to bring you a second marshmallow, they're like, nope, that adult's never coming back. Take what I can now. She's like, yeah, right. I've heard this story before. So every time they get into things like this, it just reminds me of these ideas because the whole thing is supposed to be that like the people that they're tempting with all of this human stuff lack our self-control and are therefore inferior and easily overcome by their desires. Doesn't make any sense, really. (laughs) Especially since they are folks that are clearly intelligent. And the lady even at the one point there says, yeah, you're trying to seduce me. Yes, obviously. And you should. And what's the logical step? If you don't want him to seduce you, then you tell him to get bent. Which she did. And he (laughs) leaves. He goes like, I'm Kirk and I didn't get the girl. I'm going to go sulk now. Um, And then when you think about it, it's like, all right, that experience was maybe one of pleasurable. Maybe I shouldn't go to the person who introduced it to me because they have ulterior motives. That would, you know, that that sounds like a a more sensible plan to maybe find one of the other Kelvins and introduce them to it instead. It's also a very, very weird episode to follow up the like Nazi fascist episode. A little bit. It's actually it's actually nestled between two because the next episode also deals with some weird like semi-fascisty power themes. I mm-hmm. remember the next one. This one is we are a superior being with superior technology, and we've come in to take over, and there's nothing you can do about it. The way that we're going to convince you to not do that is by going like hey you took on our forms and now you're inferior and your people aren't going to take you back haha yeah (laughs) you basically are just like yeah they are superior beings maybe we should be conquered because they have superior technology and stuff but we've managed to convince them to like not tell on us basically it's like okay we're we're conceding that that whole point that maybe we're scum but hey, you're scum too, so it's all great. Welcome to the, the Slime Brigade. Which is a particularly interesting way of handling this situation without directly having to address or critique colonialism by a technologically superior force. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, actually, that would be fine, and we probably do deserve it, but you also deserve it. And do you want to go through that, dude? <laughs> nope. Haha. <laughs> I guess in some ways it is forcing empathy on these guys but it's it's very roundabout sort of way how they're sort of putting it all yeah together. it's a weird kind of empathy it's not a like hey let's let's teach you our values and go hey maybe all life has value and do you really want to do this because we've now like made you empathize with us the people you thought were inferior beings you d- this is a very much kind of like you have to convince someone that what's happening is going to be bad for them personally and that's the only way to convince someone of something and uh, that's not necessarily you know how it works with people you know you know there are people that are completely selfish that that uh, you know at least th- insist that they operate on this fashion and to a certain degree they do but there, it is, there is potential in every single person to have enth- uh, empathy and to understand the, you know, the, the, the exterior them should allow them the insight necessary to go, oh, maybe, maybe being a jerk's not so good. 
I was trying to say something insightful there, but I didn't do it well. Sorry. <laughs> the way they laid out this argument is is coming from an incredibly individualist mindset, which makes sense given the the you know ethics of the time, mm-hmm. because individualism was a very dominant mode of thinking in the United States in the '60s, as it is now. We've just paled on it mildly. Mm-hmm. But if you look at something like that as an individualist. You can't go, hey, what you're doing is going to hurt other people because the individualist mindset is, well, those other people should take care of themselves then. Like, if what I'm doing is hurting them, they should do something about that. And if they don't, then they obviously don't care that much about me hurting them. In short, it's a a, a quick journey uh, to that might makes right sort of territory. Yeah, so the... The way that you convince someone of something in this individualist mindset is to demonstrate how it's bad for them. Mm-hmm. It's like, actually, these people you're hurting would you know, be able to make you better pants or something if you didn't hurt them. It's like, well, I like pants, so this directly benefits me. Hooray, and now I have a, a flimsy excuse to not be a jerk. Kind of. Sort of, kind of. I'm going to make them make my pants. <laughs> but obviously, that's a pretty crummy way to have to make arguments because you always have to bring it back around to why doing a nice thing would be worth it for the other person it is a little frustrating that you know this this keeps coming up in various forms throughout classic series here that there is not a an appeal to the higher ideals that we you know you know know, keep hearing about that if as you said before, if we figure out a, a good way to convince them of a different way without having to f- force a personalized filter on it, then that would be very powerful and very a very powerful tool in the long run uh, to basically diffuse situa- uh, situations and uh, you know, like this entirely because uh, you could sort of like okay, we in some ways ca- kind of lucky that we had this particular uh, set of circumstances where we lost we completely lost we were completely uh caught off guard we were you know uh you know the, the other side effectively cheated by freezing us and taking over our ship and all that and we we were down and out we just got lucky that we we're able to pull off this one trick due to the quirk of their personalities being forced into human brain meats you know, in a very sort of i guess survivalistic sort of view here you know it is a terrible, terrible thing to have to rely on that kind of luck in, in a very you know, uh, 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 concrete sense in order to survive in the long run. That maybe, you know, idealized Federation folks of the future, maybe you should get those Federation principles a better packaging so that it is digestible by beings beyond your concept and understanding, uh, you know, as far as, you know, our more modern day sort of view here. And so that you are able to communicate with them and put forth the argument uh, in you know whatever language they need to uh, you know have going that hey maybe this whole being an asshole thing is a, is a terrible thing and here is our sort of universalized sort of pitch for not shooting us effectively. They very much go with the mid-century United States ideas of. American ideals are actually inbuilt human ideals. And the progressive thing that the show did, to give it the credit for the time, it was a very progressive show for the 1960s, because they said, actually, those inbuilt American ideals that Americans have as inbuilt ideals are actually inbuilt ideals in all people. Mm Mm-hmm. Even if they're aliens. Which is a 
huge step up from you know um, you know the U.S. and other white supremacisty people have inbuilt ideals, but these other people don't have the inbuilt ideals that we do, and that's why we need to go do horrible things to them. Oh, uh... This episode in particular does have it as human, because when these aliens became human, now you can start getting them your inbuilt human ideals and, uh, because they are innate they are innate things that happen in humans and we see this pop up a lot every time you hit one of these pleasure planets or you know idealized utopians that they decide they have a problem with it's because that it goes against the inbuilt nature of humanity every time they appeal to a higher ideal it's not because we have to live out our ideals it's because you have to do what is an inbuilt human thing and in like later series and a lot of other science fiction uses and this series too in some ways but they they muddle it quite a bit because they have this weird inbuilt thing as part of their core ideology on the show Mm -hmm. Uh, but it muddles the use of aliens as like stand-ins for you know other races and being able to look at racism from a more objective outside lens and see how stupid it is Mm -hmm. but that's what you know a lot of later science fiction uses alien races and things for you separate out like all humans are the same and all aliens are the same and now we get to see how stupid it is to hate each other yeah the uh we have this commonality that we are you know, beings that are uh, thinking and aware of the universe, and then that that is a uniting uh, thing between us, and uh, we should be at least willing to understand that as a uh, universal truth, and to refuse that is just absurd. But you hit a huge you hit a huge gap because you have the inbuilt human ideals in this show, and whenever they meet an alien society as long as they have the same inbuilt ideals they're fine and we can deal with them as soon as they have different ones they're like oh we can't nope these aliens um oh my god we've got to convince them to do things our way because that's obviously right by the time you hit next gen in the 90s 80s and 90s they're doing the more you know our new postmodern thing of like maybe we can understand what makes all of these cultures different and unique and be able to learn from that and make a better culture out of having learned and understand things from each other uh, yeah, integration learning uh assimilation maybe but of a certain sort that's less invasive it's kind of this difference that i've been seeing in a lot of things between kind of control and cooperation Because in this, you get a lot of, we have to go in and change everybody's way of doing things and control all aspects of life so that we can move forward as one united people instead of, you know, you have a different way of doing stuff, but if we cooperate, we can work together towards the same goal just fine. We can be harmonious despite our differences. I guess the actual progressive messaging of this show is all humans are, you know, worth consideration and they haven't quite gotten to... Like, all humans on this ship are worthy of consideration because we have all accepted the same culture, basically. There's very few cultural differences in this show that are acceptable. Someone might argue that, oh, there's plenty. You just don't see them. Well, we don't see them. (laughs) Yeah. That's the problem. You can only show what they actually show on screen. Yeah, there's a, a few bits here and there, but it's still kind of very packaged behind the sort of general Starfleetness here. It's also very interesting that they just go, we're going to take these people that we just basically said like, hey, 
look at all these fun things you can do in human bodies in order to get them to you know, treat us better and decide not to conquer the galaxy and we're going to just dump them on this planet and go, here you go. Here's your planet. Have fun. Um, hope you brought, like, stuff. I feel like this is the origin story of, like, all of the next generation pleasure planet. <laughs> I just keep finding aliens and dumping them on planets like this. <laughs> well, it's just any of these ones. Like, you know, hey, we've introduced you to the pleasures of the flesh in order to manipulate you. Bye. <laughs> Well, I guess we're going to be uh, complete hedonists from now on. Um, this is pretty cool. Um, uh, come back. We're going to have a pleasure plan in a few decades. <laughs> this one is so muddled because they tried to get some comedy in there, but it is an interesting one. That they they still have the, like, you know, this one guy's too jealous, and that's what lets him be overpowered. But mm -hmm. other than that, that's the only real negative one that they say is unique to these aliens. Because, like, Scotty gets drunk with the guy and doesn't fulfill his mission. Like, McCoy manages to agitate someone, but it basically does nothing. Well, it gets him sent to his room, so he's not around at the scene that he probably was going to be around for. And then there's just the other woman who sits. Yeah, she, she's busy poking buttons. She She's distracted. They have She'll not be had chairs before. She sits. <laughs> yes. This is so amazing. Holy crap. <laughs> Um, I, in the, you know, before we recorded, I, I did threaten to talk a little bit about Doctor Who. Well, that's fine. I talked about Doctor Who. <laughs> um, so this did remind me of a particular, uh, classic series, uh, serial called the evil of the Daleks. Guess what it's about? I guess it's about evil Daleks. Haha, <laughs> <laughs> you're right. <laughs> like, you know, 90% of classic Doctor Who. <laughs> Not 90%, like 25%. <laughs> but um, the one of the things they uh, did in this uh, that particular serial, um, I think it's one of the longer ones too. Uh, it's also one that's, that I haven't seen because, you know, missing episodes and all that. But uh, the, the Daleks are like, we're trying to get this human factor thing and we're going to use it to make ourselves invincible and things like that. And uh, it's it's all about sort of trying to extract... Uh, you know, because you know, humans are apparently like just kind of awesome, and that's sort of one of the givens in the in the, in the serial there. Uh, that and so they're like, all right, we're gonna be taking this thing that makes humans so basically able to propel themselves through you know th uh, throughout uh, history going forward, uh, and try to make it part of us. And there's a whole bunch bunch of plot there, and I, that kind of got me thinking about, you know, what if these Kelvins at some point like, wait a moment, maybe we could weaponize this. This human being human thing, because it was able to destroy us, to keep us from our invasion plans, and get us basically change our minds. Uh, so maybe, maybe sometime in the future, there'll be someone trying to weaponize being human in Star Trek. <laughs> Sounds a little ridiculous, but yeah, the Doctor Who episode uh, a bit there got me thinking about that. It sounds like something I've seen like elsewhere. Like something that's gonna inf like infect you with emotions or or empathy or some such, and then they cry about it at the end and go, "Did we destroy a people?" That sounds really familiar all of a sudden, but I can't place it. Hmm. Is it equilibrium? I <laughs> know, uh, because that was you know the other way, I guess. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> but to, to finish the the chatter about Dark Two, there uh, the the Daleks also use the human factor to isolate the Dalek factor and there's trying to instill one in people and all this other stuff. 
It's a whole mess. It's, it's classic Star Trek. It's like that. But anyway, back to Star Trek. <laughs> Well, I don't know if we have that much more. Like, it's just being human infects you with human stuff. And apparently this time it led them to give up instead of go kill themselves like it did the last time. So I guess that's a step up. Yeah, you know, we're less suicidal. That's good. Yeah, I don't really got much else. Uh, I guess I could talk about uh, degradation of materials when they're exposed to cosmic rays over long periods of time. But I don't know. I'm not, not sure if people are interested in that. Lots of things degrade when you expose them to radiation for long periods of time. <laughs> yeah, and, well, I guess it could be argued that all, a ship like the Enterprise, for the the medium haul at least, they'll probably be fine. But you know, if the when when the, our four mains are all died because they've been grown old and uh, passed on, and it's down to the Kelvins to run the ship themselves entirely, or they right, uh, resurrect some more crew to finish the job to get back all the way. Eventually, they're going to be in a situation they're going to be needing to do repairs. And given this is a spaceship traveling between galaxies, there's not going to be, you know, anywhere to stop and get resupply. So they're going to have a little trouble there. Hope you got everything you need for those long-term repairs. And, you know, supplies for food, all that sort of things. You know, good luck. Well, there's this, like, old thing from... I think it was used in a couple things, and I would like to think that they did the galaxy crossing in an actual smart way. Like, everyone knows that no one can cross this desert, but maybe a small force can get, you know, a third of the way and leave supplies. And then the next force can use some of those supplies and get halfway. And then the next one can come and use some of those supplies and get two-thirds of the way. Sort of a uh, a series of encampments, of base camps. Yep, Mm. supply caching. They never talk about how they actually get across other than it takes at least a generation. So maybe they do have some sort of plan to, you know, you know, super deep space space stations going on here. They had that Stargate thing where they, like, linked a bunch of Stargates together in between two galaxies. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Uh, got all the uh, gal- a bunch of uh, spare ga- uh, gates from the Pegasus galaxy and our galaxy and uh, just sort of dropped them off in a series until they were pretty close to each other at the end. And then, like, one, like, literally the same room, sort of distance. And then you can go through one gate ser- su- uh, system over the other and just a little stopover between. Stargate was such a good show. Yeah. <laughs> I've actually uh, been uh, re-watching Stargate Universe recently. Never saw that one, honestly. But I don't know. I'd like to cover some of those at some point. But, like, there's 20 seasons of that between the two series. Uh, there, there's uh, the 10 for SG-1. Uh like four or five for atlantis hmm. uh, and then two for universe and i know i've to- talked about the end of universe before on this on the show here but it's still the, the saddest end of any tv show i've seen personally <sighs> it just stops because it was terrible i actually kind of liked it there were some episodes that were just like this is pointless but <laughs> i completely turned off to stargate universe in the first episode when they got there and they discovered the weird selfie bots yeah, that was kind of hilarious, actually. It's like, oh my god, we're vlogging. Because, of course, everything has to be vlogging now. <laughs> the thing is, they made this like 10 years ago now. It's it's wacky. That's it's still like something that's even more a thing now. <laughs> yeah, but it's not such a thing on TV. Like, remember like 10 years ago, there were like five different shows that were supposed to be like, oh, what if the entire show was like somebody's vlog? I'm so edgy and cool. <laughs> though, though I will go to bat for uh, Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. Yeah, but they only did that for like, they only actually did the vlogging part for like a third of that series. True, true, true. <laughs> and you get extra points for anything if you can turn it into a musical. 
Oh, that is true. Uh, I was thinking about singing in this episode, by the way, but I've decided to hold off. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that we have strayed again. All right, game show time. <laughs> yeah, there's just nothing to this freaking episode. So, time for the galaxy's favorite game show! Hey everybody, welcome back to the game show portion of the show. We've uh, all our contestants this week have uh, tallied up a lot of their uh, their points here. They've managed to uh, even uh, get through some physical challenges, which may or may not involve being turned into cubes. But anywho, let's get to the uh, what prizes they've won here. Uh, first off is the menacing geometry prize, which goes to the Kelvins for their menacing the crew via turning them into uh, a series of cubes and other sort of geometry uh, shapes. What do they win, Gepwin? <laughs> They win a really giant plastic square box because you need to store your dice properly or they just wind up everywhere. Indeed. Um, uh, some people prefer bags, but if, if you're really going to go uh, for a very uh, regular, uh, you know, uh, con, uh, you know, you know, barely con, uh, 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 vex uh, shape there, a square is a good, a good receptacle. Um, I could go into more, but I have other awards to go into. But if you want to talk about uh, dice storage just, uh, stuff later, do let me know. Also, those dice box make really good figurine storages for when you're carrying your D&D minis around. Oh, heck yeah. Our second award is the Human Factor Award, which the Kirk and Company get for exploiting the human nature of the invaders, because apparently being human just makes everybody fallible. So, hooray. Well, they win, Gapwood. Kirk and Company win a bunch of junk food, some candy bars, a bunch of porn DVDs, just some loose sugar and maybe a bit of butter. So they're better prepared next time they need to tempt some alien species. Hmm, excellent. Um, now I'm hungry. Hmm. Anyway, <laughs> our, sec- our third award here is the Medical Malpractice Award, which goes to... Uh, our buddy McCoy for giving the one guy a bunch of drugs to make him irritable and, you know, all that following medical ethics to the, uh, you know, to the full spirit. Um, yeah, McCoy, you're, you're handing out the drugs again. What does he win, Gepwin? McCoy, j- just get your own supply at this point. Like, you know, one for you, one for me. It would just work out better. You've stopped pretending to be a doctor like a season and a half ago. <laughs> true, true, true. Which is, um... Kind of telling since we're about a season and a half into the show. <laughs> Our final award uh, today uh, prize is the uh, Teaching Aliens How to Love Award, which goes to Kirk specifically for the obvious and kind of creepy reasons, because it's always kind of creepy with Kirk. What, is, what does he win, Gapwin? Kirk wins just... Okay, so right now we're having these weird Japanese, like, sex doll robots they keep making. Just give him whatever... 22nd century version of those they got so he'll stop doing this sounds like a plan and they'll probably save people a lot a lot of worry and probably some legal uh, issues on his part there i think i'm done here gepwin take us away yes this was a weirdly not as safe for work as usual but we never claimed to be version of the galaxy's favorite game show Well then, where are we? I've actually heard of this next episode, and I've seen it a couple times. 
It's awful. Oh, oh dear. I, I, I've seen some clips of it, but not, not too much about it. I kind of get the vibe of what's going on here. Do you? I think so, given <laughs> what I Because there's remember. a twist ending that is just, oh, really? Oh, my God. Why? <laughs> because why not? I'm pretty sure I've had the ending of this one spoiled, too. So, yeah. <laughs> we'll spoil it for you guys next week. Yeah, so they, they, they land on a planet that is in a constant state of civil war between two clans known as the Coms and the Yangs. Think about that for a while. Yeah, you can think about it till next week. <laughs> There's some weirdo subplot with some some other Starfleet captain dude decides that this ship, this planet is like the the key to immortality or something. So we got some uh you know colonialism is uh, going on as well in. Yeah, colonialism <laughs> You got civil war between two savage cultures that have been fighting for thousands of years. Hmm. Yeah. It's one of those. So next week, the Omega Glory. <laughs> it's written badly. Everybody speaks the, that kind of like caveman, ooh, who you here kind of English. It's really annoying. I, I hope we have something less annoying before the end of the season. Oh, I forgot about that. One male and one female prisoner that Kirk rescues. That can't be good. Hmm. Well, um, I'm not looking forward to watch this one. <laughs> <laughs> and you cannot look forward to watching it either until you have to hear about it next week on Watchers of Tomorrow. Next time on Watchers of Tomorrow. Glory, glory, hallelujah. <laughs> have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more. And where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash Dr. Isix and Twitter at IsixLP. Music is Waveform and Maury's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists. <laughs> <laughs>